I, I, don't, I, I don't mean to offend anybody in the room, but I, I just got to tell you, I, I got like so many texts last night after the Dodgers won because I keep telling everybody, I, yeah, exactly. I keep telling everybody I am praying against the Dodgers. Let, let, me, let me just tell you why. Let me tell you why. I didn't say, hold on, I did not say I was praying for Houston, okay? All I said was, I'm praying against the Dodgers. Because too many of you are like, it's Dodger Blue! And I can't go anywhere on social media without all of you, oh, the Dodgers! I'm like, shut up! They're a baseball team and they get paid too much money and half of them are jerks. And you know, someone's going to hear this podcast and be like, I am never going to that church. They do not worship Jesus there. I can tell because they don't like the Dodgers. You can, you can, fine. Look, look, I just said I'm praying against them. I didn't say I'm for anybody else. I'm just, I'm like, I'm like single-handed predestination. Okay, I'm just praying. Oh, theology humor just never goes over well. So I have three things as we start. You are the last service, and it's, I don't know, just go with me today. All right. Uh, three things. N- number one is this. The time change is next Saturday night, which is, if, if you have people in your life who do not believe in Jesus, just point to this, okay? And be like, we know God exists because we get an extra hour of sleep next week. Now, don't talk about what happens in the spring, right? <laughs> But this one, this is the one we're like, yes, an hour. Praise God. An hour. Tell you, hit that spring one, and I'm like, what evil person ever thought this up? What I think we should do is every six months and it rolls around, we just keep setting them back. <laughs> then eventually it'll be midnight at like noon. But it'll come back around. It'll take 12 years. We'll be okay. I don't know. Anyway, so don't forget, set your clocks back an hour second thing is halloween is tuesday and i guess i gotta tell you i think halloween is a great holiday and i say this to you every year so don't run off if you have kids don't run off to some harvest festival somewhere what i want you to do is if you don't have kids you're going to stay home and you're going to hand out candy so your neighbors come by and you get to know your neighbors uh if you have kids go out trick-or-treating so you can knock on your neighbor's door and get to know your neighbors it's really the only day of the year when you go ding dong and they go hello and they're not like what do you want you know they open the door and they give you candy it's an amazing day. So go out, get to know your neighbors, have fun. Also, also, if you're going to hand out candy, hand out good candy. This is, this is always my thing. Hand out, we are Christians. We don't hand out Tootsie Rolls. Anything that can pull a kid's fillings out of his teeth or break his teeth, you don't hand out. You want them to walk away from your house going, oh, oh. What's up with these people? Because Jesus lives here. Here is a full-size candy bar that says Kit Kat. Here's not just a Twix. Here is both halves of the Twix in a package. I give out full-size candies, okay? I'm just letting you know. Come to my house. I 
I live far enough away that if you make it to my house, you deserve a full-size bar. Because you will need the calories to get back where you need to be. Okay. I, live like, I live down the street, and it's like the houses are kind of just spread out. If you want like a dense neighborhood, it's not my neighborhood. But a lot of people in my neighborhood do hand out. So yeah, I'll give you full. I got full-size bars. I, I was even, this shouldn't make Sean Combs happy. I, uh, I actually bought things of a Toblerone chocolate, and they come like six in the tube. I bought two of those tubes just to see if I like a kid. will be like, and he's going to walk away going, the Holy Grail has been thus bequeathed unto me. <laughs> All right, so that's the second thing. Be good on Halloween. Love your neighbors, that kind of stuff. Uh, third thing is this. Uh, on November 19th, we were doing this thing called uh, the Agape Celebration. Uh, in the early church, they would get together for these things. They were called love feasts. I know that sounds really weird today, but they were Agape Celebrations where they would get together and gather and worship and love Jesus by making sure one another's needs were taken care of and stuff like that. So yearly, we do one of these. We either do it all together corporately or we do it in people's homes. This year, we're going to do it corporately together at the new property. So our last service, in this building is going to be November 19th. So we'll meet here that night at 5.30. We're going to meet at the new property. We'll have maps to hand out in case you get lost. It's not that hard to find, but in case you get lost in your direction, not directional challenge, we'll give you maps. Um, And over there at 5.30, we're going to get together and you are going to bring something to share. And that's either chili or soup. And I say it that way because first service I said super chili. And it sounded like you're supposed to make super chili. But it's soup or so chili or soup. And if you bring in a crock pot, label the crock pot and bring a spoon with it because we run out of spoons and then label it so we can make sure it gets back to you. So you're going to bring soup or chili and then we're going to provide drinks, uh, bowls, so you don't make bowls, uh, bread, spoons and desserts. So it'll be awesome. Now, what we're going to do is when you show up at 530, you're going to get your food, and we're going to have all the buildings on the property that we purchased opened. So you can take your food and walk through and spill it like you're going to do anyway, eventually. And you can walk through and look at all the rooms. We're going to open up the house on the corner, the offices, the main room, the kids' rooms, so you guys can walk through and see everything. And at about 630, we're going to get together for a service inside, and we're going to we're going to talk about where we've been and where we're going. We're going to show you a video. It's going to be, and it's also going to be our official end of the planting roots journey. And so it's all going to kind of come together. Now, if you haven't been here the last three years and you're fairly new, you're welcome to come to that. We are, I was actually sitting out there working last week and this lady pulls up and she starts asking all these questions about the property and what's going on. And so I explained to her what it was and I invited her to come to this. So I'm giving away your food, so you better bring some because she's going to show up and she's going to learn about what we are and where we're going to that kind of stuff. So you are all invited to come. We'd love to see you all there. All right? All right, put it on your calendar. We're going to do this. Uh, if you are new, welcome. That's a lot of stuff, I know. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes that go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about, some questions to go deeper. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More and then Events in Uversion. We'll come by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And it says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand that all that we have comes from your hands. 
and that we would live in such a way that we become generous as you are generous, that we'd begin to see the world around us as you see it, that we would be those who fully become immersed in your great mercy, understanding what you have done to rescue us, so we would live out the hope and the understanding of the gospel that has been made alive in us, and that you would be worshipped and glorified in all things. Amen. Have a seat. Right there. Ta-da! Anyway, I hope you guys all heard whatever that was, because if I just did that, you'd be like, that was weird. He says amen. He's like, ta-da. Okay. Anyway. I, so, apparently we're not going to use this for the podcast. So, in, in, the, in the book of Ruth, this, this, is, this is week 10, and as, as I kind of came to the end of the book of Ruth, I threw two weeks into it after I finished it, which is this week and what we're going to kind of cover next week, because there's a lot of good stuff. But what I wanted to do is end our planting roots journey, because technically today is the end of the three-year journey we did with planting roots. Uh, now, we are officially going to end on November 19th, but today is technically the ending of the journey. Now, planting roots is where we came together at three years ago. We're like, Element needs a permanent home. What are we going to do? We bought this field out here, and we're going to build on the field. We had all these grand plans of what we were going to do while God sat and laughed. <laughs> and God stirred us where he needed to want us to be. So we ended up buying this other piece of property that has some older buildings on it. It's 1.2 acres bigger than our property here. And so there's a lot of things that are going to start happening. And, and it's not just moving there and done. We still believe that God's calling us to move forward and stuff like that. But before we kind of hit and finished out Ruth, because it is technically the end of planting roots, I wanted to kind of take a step back and round out planting roots with looking at Ruth and talk to you about some of the mundane things of life and really the most mundane thing is money and our work and that kind of stuff. And I know when I say money, any preacher says money from up front, all people think is, oh no, he's after my wallet, which is true. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In reality, what we want you to do is we want to live lives that are full and free, that are centered on the person of Jesus Christ, who God is, so we'd actually begin to live more like a Boaz or a Ruth out of the book of Ruth. So often we wonder today, like, like, why don't I have enough? I need more. I don't have that. We look around and we're jealous of what everybody else has. We always think the grass is always greener somewhere else. And the answer of why we think that way is our focus is typically upon ourselves and not upon all that God has given to us. It's not upon the gifts that God has placed in our life. Now, as a reminder, Boaz and Ruth, he's a guy, he owns a field. In this time, that's a way of saying he owns a business. So he has employees, he does all right for himself, but most importantly, he loves God. And that means he blesses, and he serves, and he gives. On the other hand, you've got Ruth. Ruth is poor, doesn't have a whole lot of anything, but what she does have is her hands and her strength and what God has given her. And so what she does is she begins to live out with these hands, blessing other people's lives with them. And I think today it's good for us to understand the practical understanding of who owns everything, including us, our stuff, and our hands, and our time, and our brains, and our days, as shown not just in Ruth, but in the entire Bible. In Ruth, there are always signs of hope, even in the midst of poverty, because God is always working just under the surface to bring everything where he wants it to be. That's one of the main things things the book of Ruth teaches us, is that no matter our situation, we don't have to be a people that lose hope. Because God is always working. No matter what is going on in your life, God's doing a thousand different things in a thousand different ways for His glory and our good, even if He appears to be absent, even if He appears not to be listening, or at least not listening to you. And it's like I said before, if you put the book of Ruth up against other books in the Bible, like Jonah or Genesis, what you see is there's really no miracles. Ruth is just a normal, 
average, everyday book. There are no sea partings, no fish swallowing people and puking up, up on a beach. There's nobody coming back from the dead. There's no blind people seeing. There's no dreams. There's no visions. God's not talking into anybody's head in the book. This is why Tim Keller said about Ruth, this is a book for people who look around their life and they see absolutely no dramatic answers to prayer, no dramatic events of any sort. They see nothing but mundane times and hard times. Because Ruth is a book that's about the normal, average, everyday things of our lives. And in that, God is still at work. God is still there. And it's really more in those times. I think we, if we look, we can actually see more that he's doing. In John five seventeen, Jesus says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. What that means is that God is still at work. Like I said, in a thousand different ways that we don't even understand, always for his glory and our good. We must be a people, I think, who begin to pray and ask God to show us the signs of what he is doing. So I'm going to use this to talk about money and stuff today because a lot of us are like this woman in the text named Naomi. When, when she comes back to Bethlehem, she's like, I'm empty, I have nothing, my life is terrible. When she has this huge treasure in her life named Ruth that is right there with her, She wasn't empty. She wasn't. She doesn't have nothing. She has Ruth. God put her right there. But she's too self-focused to see it. And too often, that is exactly like us in our lives. We're too self-focused. This is why we need to live with a community of believers around us to keep refocusing us back, to wake us up and say, you know what, your life isn't worthless. There is a lot going on there. Look all that God is doing. I can see it. You should see it too. God is still at work. He hasn't stopped working. Now, I don't know if Naomi's friends did that when she came back to Bethlehem. We know that they talked about her. She comes back in. They're like, oh, that's Naomi. She looks bad. What would happen to her? And maybe they did walk forward and say, oh, you have a huge treasure. I don't know if they did that, but I, but I hope they did. But there is a lesson here. Naomi has this agenda for how God is supposed to act and work in her life. She thinks that God's not doing what God should be doing. And because God's agenda is not her agenda, she doesn't see the signs of hope that God has put in her life. She hasn't seen all the great things that God has put there. And a lot of us in our lives end up in that place at some point. We have an agenda. Things don't go our way. This could be in a relationship or a lack of a relationship or monetarily or with a job. And we get blind to all the incredible things that God does. Or maybe even the incredible things that God has kept out of our lives that could have intersected with it because he loves us. Sometimes we refuse to see it. Sometimes it leads to a place of no hope. And this is, again, why the teaching of the book of Ruth is in the mundane things and in the ordinary. If we look, we see God move the most. Because this is where God normally works. So let me try to recenter us all just a minute on who God is. Number one thing about God is that there is one and he is not you. I know, whoa, big wake-up call right there for a lot of us, right? God is wholly someone else. God created, spoke everything into existence, and therefore all things belong to him. All things were made for his glory, to reflect his glory, be used for his purposes, and that would include you and me as his people. In creation, there's meant to be a harmony and a purpose and a love. The Hebrews would use this word called shalom. The word shalom means everything in the right place, in the right time, in the right way. Everything is all right with you and God. Shalom we translate as the word peace, but it really means so much more than peace. And early in the scriptures, God creates humans as his crowning achievement. And he says, this is very good. And he places the stewardship of this creation in our hands. And we can move forward and live in shalom or we don't. And what does the first man and woman do? They don't. They do the same thing we do every single day. And they take all that God gave them and they worship themselves and not God with it. 
They take all of God's provision and blessing and turn it towards themselves, just like we do. We take all that God has given, and we claim it's not enough, and we get frustrated with Him. We forget the gospel, the good news, that God is not blessing us so we can be glorified and have everything that we want, even though this is what a lot of sermons are kind of centered around today. Jesus did not come so you could fulfill your potential. Jesus did not come so you can climb to the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We already fulfilled our potential. And what happened? Jesus had to die because of it. So fulfilling our potential is not always the best thing. There's this bizarre teaching out there that God is just there to bless us. Like that's God's only job. You find this in Christian music. You find it in sermons. I was at a Christian funeral last year and I'm blown away because the guy, the pastor at the end, the whole thing he talked about was how that God was there to give us everything we want. Guys, this is, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. That's what it calls it. And don't get me wrong. I believe that God does bless us. I believe that God steps into his, on our lives and does amazing things. But that is God's grace and God's mercy. Too often, we think that God blessing us how we want is giving us what we want. And we don't get it. We get mad at him. God, I'm supposed to have this or that. I'm supposed to have more money or a better job or a, or a nicer spouse. Or, sorry, you know, I'm supposed to have some, something I want. Because we only think about ourselves. And we say, this is my body. And this is my money. And these are my days. And it's all mine. That is American individuality. That is not Christianity. It is not Christianity. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6.20, You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And that means in all that we do, we honor Him. We need to have an understanding that when Jesus died, He didn't die for us because God just had to save us. It's, it's because God wanted to save us. This is how we know that we are loved, because God wanted to save us because He Himself is good. We were lost. He brought us in. And for us, that means that once we were a slave to sin and death, but now, because of Jesus, we belong to God. It is God who transforms us with His grace and love, so we belong to Him. There is no third option anywhere in the Scriptures where we get to self-actualize and worship ourselves or worship others or worship things. In Romans 1.6, it says, And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Because that is the heart of Christianity. We belong to Jesus. That's it. And that means from here forward in our lives that everything we have is Jesus. Our, our days are Jesus' days. Our money is Jesus' money. Our time is Jesus' time. Our bodies are Jesus' bodies to be used for His purposes, to honor God, to bless others. All of our days end up in the hands of our great and our good God. Before in our lives, different things could dishonor who God is, but now they're redeemed and they're brought back and bought back in. They're all at his disposal. Now, as I said earlier, so the book of Ruth connects God to the normal, average, everyday, mundane stuff. In our lives, again, what do we consider the most mundane thing of all? Work. Our work. We hate work. And I know this because when I talk to most of you, you all let me know how you don't think you get paid enough to do your job. Right? I hate my work. This is horrible. If you really loved your work, you would do it for less or even do it for free. Like, who wants free ice cream and Oreos? Me. Free bacon. Me. I don't got to pay bacon and Oreos because you're like, this is the best. I even mush those things together. They might even be good. I don't know. It's just it's awesome. We all want free bacon. See, but we're to understand that we are still to find joy in our mundane work because God has created us to work and He intends our work to be good. He has got His blessing. He does good things. We're to find joy in this. It is meant to be part of our worship of Jesus, how we live out 
our work and what we do. In Ruth chapter 2, Boaz shows up to his job. I, I know he's the boss, but he shows up and he's a good boss. And it says in Ruth 2, 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. I told you before, this is a standard priestly blessing that goes out and comes back. But you see that Boaz finds joy in his job. And because it's because he finds joy in who God calls him to be. So he goes to his job, and he's like, hey, it's a beautiful day. God bless you. This is amazing. How can I love and serve you guys? That's how he shows up. He's a good boss. I mean, what would it be like to have a boss like that? Does your boss show up, and does he say that? Hello, I've been praying that God would bless you. How about this? Do you ever pray for your boss? Do you ever think about your boss other than, I hope he gets in a car wreck? I mean, do you ever, do you ever pray for your boss? Like, you know, God bless him, do wonderful things in his life. Do you compare your boss to the devil and wonder how he escaped hell? He got bored and said, I'll come torture this guy the rest of my life. I mean, is that what you think about him? Ruth shows that being godly, people can find great joy in something as mundane as work because it is from the hand of God. And I have told you multiple times that Hebrews haven't, didn't really have a word for spiritual like we do. The Bible never teaches this difference between physical and spiritual. The Bible teaches us we are to be one person, inside and the outside of the cup, the same, one person. That means whatever we do, even our work, is meant to be spiritual. In the United States, if you go into the workforce at the time that this message was written, this for the podcast for posterity, right? Uh, if you go into the workforce, you will work upwards of 100,000 hours at a job. Unless you live in an ungodly place like France, uh, but you know, you'll live a, work 100,000 hours at your job. So that means it should connect to Jesus because 100,000 hours of your life is a lot of your life. And if Jesus is overall and he loves and rescues and saves us, then our work should be part of our life. It should be part of God's work in the world. So I showed you in John 5, 17 that Jesus says God works. Genesis 1, God creates everything, calls it good. That means God works hard and God works well. In Genesis 2, it shows us that God made man to work before the fall ever came. Man was there and man was meant to work. God intends for us to work hard and well. And I know you get to Genesis 3 and it all gets complicated, but Genesis 3 comes about because we focused on ourselves again and we keep doing this to ourselves. Genesis 3, man rebels, rebels against God and God's goodness. Man always thinks he knows how to do his life better than God calls us to. This is why we call it the fall. We fell from God's grace and his goodness. We broke relationship and life and love and sin enters the world. One of the results of this fall is that work now becomes harder. The ground is cursed and it fights against us and it takes a lot of work to get to produce well. But the lesson we're to learn is not that work is bad. We're to learn that we are the ones who are bad and that God is full of grace and God still provides a way for us to live in his goodness. And so we are meant to worship and honor God in our work. Christian thinking has been so corrupted on this idea of work throughout the ages. And it really starts all the way back with this guy named Plato, like with a T, not a D. He didn't like invent the, you know, Plato with the T. Plato taught that there are two dimensions of reality. There is the spiritual and the physical. He taught that the physical, was, the only thing that mattered was the spiritual. That's all that matters. He called it the heavenly things or the world of the forms. And so the early church, this leads to something called Gnosticism because a lot of these people that came to the church came out of this idea. And Gnosticism says, oh, it's all about the mind and the knowledge. You just, you know, be a monk and live on a hill and be real spiritual and food and pleasure and sex and work is all evil. Anything that required labor was meant to be abandoned. Only spiritual things mattered. And for your information, parenting and friendship were not spiritual. 
Plato teaches this segregation that the scriptures don't teach. But that thinking has still infused the church even to this day. We can't seem to shake it. Christians even today talk all the time about leaving this place called earth to burn and go to heaven to be with Jesus. When the scriptures teach at the end of the book of Revelation that God comes here to his redeemed earth and sets up his kingdom here in his redeemed creation. Plato's influence led to this view of a, of a priesthood in the church where the priesthood were the most holy people. And because they were the most holy, well, they didn't get to get married or have sex or eat good food or have good drink or have any pleasure. They, they were poor. They didn't own anything. And because they were poor, that made them the most holy. Do you know the Bible teaches you to get married and to work a job and to have kids and eat food and work your responsibilities? The normal, average, everyday things, the things of Ruth. This is what it teaches you. God blesses us in our commonplaces so we would be a blessing to the earth. Our life was never meant to be detached from our spirituality. And even today, if you go to a lot of Christian conferences and you ask people, what's the most holy job? A lot of people will say, oh, being a pastor or some sort of holy person. Guys, you should really meet some of the pastors I know. They're not that holy. If you, don't, you should meet me sometime because not not that holy. <laughs> Do you understand that your job is holy because you do it. If you believe in Jesus and you follow him, that means the job that you do and how you work, that job becomes holy because you are there and you are doing it. For me personally, I think tr- uh, plumbers and trashmen are the most holy professions in the world. I think that they never get paid enough to do what they do because I cannot imagine my life without a toilet that takes my poop away or a trash take my gar- trash man take my garbage away. I'm like, pay those guys more, whatever they need. Man, they should get it. They should get it. And this is the beauty of the book of Ruth when you look at Ruth and Boaz. It is we all have have the same opportunity, whether we are poor like Ruth or rich like Boaz, to help those around us in practical ways because Jesus first saved and loved us. We do it for the purpose of the gospel. It is favor. It is mercy. It is grace. Not just praying that God would change the world, but we would pray that God would use us to change the world, that he would send us out. We are to be a people who are called to live on mission, giving lavishly with our generosity. So when it comes to Halloween, kids get good candy bars and not Tootsie Rolls. So people walk away and go, man, what is different with those people? It's because they love Jesus. And we're generous, not just with our money, but with our time and our energy and our compassion and our love. We are a people who are, can be righteous even when we don't have anything whatsoever. We can give and we can help no matter how much or little we have because God has first given to us. We don't do it so God loves us more. God already does love us. We don't do it so we get more of God's favor. It, the scriptures teach that God's favor has already been bestowed upon us. We do it because God has first loved and saved us. We don't live like Boaz so other people will even like us. We understand, like Boaz understands, that his field and his income and his stuff and his wealth all came from God. It all belongs to God, and we're just stewards of it. And in the end, everything belongs to God. Why does God even give us anything? So that we would steward it well, and that we would grow, and that we would share. Because God wants to partner with us to grow us into who he intends for us to be. A lot of the things that dominate the book of Ruth are just these basic needs. It is food, water, shelter, love, and relationship. Boaz provides these things. And we are called to be a people that are able to go out and provide like this as well. And when you do, some people, they will take take you advantage of you. You'll take it for granted. But some people will be astounded. 
They'll say, why are you loving me? Why are you helping me? And our answer is always the gospel. That's why I'm doing this. God has sent me here to help you because Jesus came to save me. And God loves you. And God sees you. And God knows you. And God is pursuing a relationship with you. No one owes you anything, but we give to you because of grace. This is Jesus. And this is something we can do whether we're rich like Boaz or poor like Ruth. Boaz has this great informal ministry with his business. He takes care of all of these people simply because God loves him. Now, I told you all the way back at the beginning of Planting Roots that God gives us money and stuff for two main reasons. Number one, God gives us money and things to enjoy them, to enjoy them. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot in life and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. One of the reasons God gives you money and stuff and things is so you can enjoy it. It is not a sin to have fun with your money. I sleep in a nice bed. My shoes fit. My heater works. My AC works in my truck. Uh, I know you can't tell, but I love food. Okay, it, it, it's, pleasure is not evil. The Old Testament teaches that pleasure comes from the hand of God. It's what we do with that pleasure that matters. See, this, sometimes when we take all this and we steer it all towards ourselves, that's when it goes bad. Enjoying your life is not a sin. It can turn into that when you close your hands and you hoard all that God is given and you make it all about you. This is why we went through Planting Roots. We understood the idea of treasure. And we thank God for all that He has given And he enables us to have great joy in what he has made. God has gone through great lengths to enable us to enjoy his creation. Because God could have just made food like Nutri-Nuggets, dog nuggets that hung down on trees. Like, here's your weekly food. Ah, this is great. But no, we get like fruit. That tastes amazing. You get, you get cows that are made of steak and you get, you get pigs that are made with bacon. And, and God's like, it's tastes, because God loves us. Because God loves us. The second reason God gives us money and things is to be generous and to share. The first verse that I had you guys stand for, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So some things we enjoy and some things we put into others' hands. Poor, the hungry, Christians in other nations, the work of the local church so people come to know who Jesus Christ is. We don't see ourselves as givers. We see ourselves as receivers. That God has entrusted to us a whole lot of things so we would distribute. And that's Boaz. That's Boaz. It, it, it's meant to flow through us to other people. We're not meant to be like Hoover Dam that holds everything back. We're meant to be streams that everything flows through. That God passes it into our hands and it passes back out again because we're loving and we're generous and we're giving just like our great God. You know, as, as we say a lot, the issue is never rich or poor. The issue is righteous versus unrighteous. There are people who are righteous rich, who love others, who do good, just like Boaz. And then there are those who are unrighteous rich, who enslave people to make a fortune. There are also righteous and unrighteous poor. Some people are poor because they refuse to cheat to get ahead. Some people work hard and well, like Ruth. Other people are poor because they refuse to work and they always want a handout. They vote for political candidates who promise to give stuff away. That's unrighteous. A lot of times, you never hear about the righteous rich because the righteous rich are people who don't do it for accolades. They just do it. And so you never really even hear about them. And at Element, when we talk about giving and offering boxes and planting roots and all that, it's not because we're giving our stuff to the Lord. It's meant that we're supposed to step back and see that everything is already His. It already belongs to him. And when we give, we're simply thanking him for what he has placed in our hands. Money is not a bad thing. I encourage you guys to work hard, make lots of it. Just never let money become your God. 
We are to understand and remember the blessings we have received so we would use them properly. This is why Jesus says in Matthew six nineteen to 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, in our context, Jesus is not saying anything here about don't save money. That's not what he's saying at all. He's relating money to what we treasure the most. A few years ago, you probably know about this, nine banks mismanaged a whole bunch of funds. They're about to go under. The government said, oh, they're too big to fail. A lot of people kept their money in a, in a place where thieves broke in and stole from. These banks, in the end, received $32 billion of our money to bail them out. I mean, I can't comprehend a billion dollars, much less $32 billion from the government. And that's kind of crazy because the government doesn't produce money. They only take yours and distribute it to other people, okay? So after this $32 billion bailout, 4,793 executives from those nine banks got bonuses of a million dollars or more. Now, I mean, you, you get really got to be kidding, right? They mismanage money, they get in trouble, we bail them out, and 4,793 of them get bonuses of at least a million dollars. I mean, I don't want to be judgmental here, but, you know. Verse 20, Jesus says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves, that's government and the bankers, don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when Jesus talks about heaven in a Jewish context, this is not just some future someday out there. Heaven in that mindset was a present reality. The kingdom of God coming here, living in among us now. And when he says the word lay up, it means the place you keep your treasure. And the word treasure is this like treasury. And what Jesus is really kind of saying here is where you keep your heart is where your entire life will lay. And part of the reason why we did planting roots is we wanted to help expose in one another where we kept our hearts. Where does our treasure lay? And many times it's in our stuff and in our things. And we wanted to wake up from that and see what God wanted us to do. And, you know, part of it was also helping Element have a permanent home. I got to tell you, when I wrote this message, I actually wrote in here, and I don't know at the time of writing this if we've even broken ground yet. <laughs> because we're moving. It's it's funny. So we're coming to the end, we're finishing Ruth in this, but I just thought we can take a step back, you know, at the technical ending of this planting Ruth journey to show in Ruth. I think that you, what you have is this, this great famine. That's how the book starts, great famine. And then at the end, this harvest returns, and there's this huge celebration because they planted their roots, and they're going to reap this bountiful harvest. Because this is kind of how we have been over the last three years. You know, we, we start planting roots, we do this, what are we doing? We're planting harvesting, we're going to break ground, what's going to happen in this? And then now, we have this beautiful harvest that can take place in this new property that God is sending to us. And what we are doing is we are praying for a harvest of people to submit their lives to the rule and the reign of Jesus. That people would be set free to live in the reality of the gospel in their lives. And, I mean, planting roots, again, it's, it's technically ending, but you don't really have to stop giving to it. Someone in my GC last Wednesday night said, hey, we, you know, every time we get a paycheck, some of it goes out and goes into planting roots. Is that going to stop when it's over? And I'm like, no, we'll always take your money. <laughs> but it's, it's the idea that even when we're there, we're not done. We're not done. I mean, we, we still have to get planned development permits and put in parking lots, and, but we don't, we don't plan that to be the end. I mean, we now have a place of permanency where we don't have this lease ending always hanging over our heads. And we have new places to have vision and grow and to build and do all of these great things that God is placing in front of us. 
But so planting roots in a sense does actually need to continue in that. But we, but we want to first and foremost be good stewards of what God is doing in our life and to help you be a good steward of what God is placing in your life. That, to live our entire lives under the direction of our great and our good God. We should take a financial lesson from Ruth and the whole Bible that generosity is a better way to live. That's, that's what you get out of it. Our eyes off ourselves and onto Jesus because Jesus gives us all that we have. And we are a people who must remember this, that living in generosity, it's simply a better way to live. I talked to a friend of mine who, who when we started this journey, he's like, you know, it's really hard to give, so he starts to become a little more generous. And, and he finds that as he gets more and more generous, God opens his heart to people around him. Like, and sometimes he's really, really hard, but as he starts to give, it's like God melts these walls that are around his heart. And he, he goes, he goes, not when I give monetarily, he goes, I start giving and loving other people more. I start, I start blessing people more because I see all that, how God blesses me. And he goes, and I keep giving and God still takes care of me. And it's crazy. He goes, I feel like one of those people who say, I can't outgive God. I, I've never felt that way because I feel like I could at some point, but you know, he's just, he's just, just being honest, right? But, but, he, but, he, but he says that because he goes, the more I give, God's just faithful. And the more that I let go of things, he goes, the more open my heart becomes to people around me. Because, and that's what generosity is meant to do. Generosity is not just about giving away money. It's about as we become generous, our hearts become softer to the work that God's doing. And when we, when we take things and we, and we hoard them so close and focus so much in on ourselves with our stuff and our things, what it tends to do is make us harder and harder towards people. And so God comes in and he goes, open your hands, open your hands. I will place in it, let it flow through you because this is what generosity is meant to look like. It's not just monetarily. It's our time and our days and our energy and our love and how we live out the great gospel that God has rescued and saved us. This is why we talk about communion because it's meant to come back and refocus and reset us. That's why you come to this place and you break the cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice because it reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me because this is our generous God saying, I am going to take care of you. The greatest problem we have had is what has separated us from God and each other, this thing called sin. And God in his generosity comes and pays for the debt of our sin himself. God brings us back in. God loves us in such a way because God himself is a generous God. And we don't become generous because we think it's going to make God love us more. We become generous because we realize how much God has first loved us. This is what changes our hearts and our lives to be a generous people. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion to be subdeacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer, maybe you're in a tough financial place today. And, and you just can't see the end of what's happening. They would love to pray with you about that and talk to you about that. You know, maybe you're in a relational place today where you're having a hard time connecting in a relationship with somebody else and, and you feel like you're generous with your love and your time and your energy, but somebody else isn't like that back and you want someone to pray with you about that so that you would continue to love like God loves. Well, they'd love to pray with you about that because if you anything going on in your lives right now, they'd love to pray with you about those things because we need to be a people who come back and recenter and refocus on who God is in our lives. Uh, we have uh, offering boxes in the side wall in the back. And I say this every week. We give because God gave so much to us. We don't pass a plate because we want it to be a response to what God is doing in our hearts and our lives. And that means you actually have to get up and give. Or you can give online. I think 50% of our giving right now is online. Way to go. I mean, I was telling the last two services that, that I don't even know what it means to write a check anymore. It's like the last time I wrote a check was for Otis Spunkmeyer cookies from one of these... Things that kids are like, buy some of my kids' cookies. And I'm like, okay. So I bought some cookies, and I'm like, how do I write a check? I make my mark. 
here, you know, because I, I, I don't want to ride checks anymore. I don't know why I'm telling you that. But anyway, you can get by the line. There you go. Uh, there's food in the back. Grab some to eat. If you don't know anybody, maybe you can, you know, start some conversations, meet some other people, take some sermon notes, and start to ask one another some of these questions. Where are you generous? What do you find it hard to be generous? If you if you weren't generous before and you're starting to be more generous now, then how have you seen God open your heart to more and more things as you live that way? Or maybe maybe you once were generous and now you're not. And do you see your, yourself becoming more and more hardened and self-focused as you cease to be generous? And, and ask some of these good questions to one another. Because, guys, I think once we step into one another's lives in, in, in a way that helps us to see how generosity changes our hearts, I think we'll begin to change. We'll see the value of it. I, 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 love, I, I love Christmas because I love giving people gifts. Don't think you're all going to get one, but but I I, I love I, I love just seeing like my, my family makes fun of me because I sit there and like here we got a gift for you. I'm like ah, I don't care open this open this because I love and and I don't know if, I I hope it's because I'm starting to understand who God is a little better and how God loves to give gifts. I kind of want to be like that, and so I want to be generous in my life and what I do with the things that I say. I don't just want to be like Sean's impersonation of me from <laughs> like ah stupid you know. I want to be better. I want to be better. And I think the way that happens is trusting God enough to understand how much he really loves us and then living out that generosity because we understand that our God is a generous God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would teach us what it means to to love and honor you in real and practical ways. That you would get our eyes off of ourselves and onto you. That we would trust you for what you not only have done, but also what you continue to do. And that our eyes will be open to see what you're continuing to do. I ask that you would show us the places where our heart is closed to where you're calling us to be generous, whether it's in love or time or money or energy, wherever it is, that you have us see it. And you would begin to open up our hands so that we would give. I ask that you would help us to first see what you have done to give to us first. So we would love you by how we in turn live out that love you first given to us. Father, we ask that in all things, you would be the one who gets the glory in what we do. That we wouldn't do what we do because of accolades. But we would do what we do simply because we love you. Because you have first loved us. God, we really just want to be a people who learn to love you back. And live like you in this world speaking the truth of the gospel and how it transforms us to be a people who live out your great mercy. So teach us to be those people who honor you in all that we do. That we would see ourselves more and more each day in your hands. And that we would understand that we have been sent as your ambassadors into this world to represent you and that the people that we come into contact with would begin to see you because of how your children live and love and give and serve. That we would be marked by our generosity because we understand our great and generous God has first loved us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.